Welcome to Just Wing It. I'm John Abdullah. And I'm Patrick Green. We are here talking to you again for episode three. And we have a new mic setup, which you probably, which hopefully you can tell. We because, do. Uh, yes. Our last two episodes were basically just a mic sitting on a table um, in a conference room. But like, you know, I walked in today, I was running late. And John like had this incredible setup ready to go, and I was like, you know what? We might sound like idiots, but we sound like really well produced, really idiots. clear idiots, really clear. Our idiocy yeah. is crystal clear. It beats the you know cups with a shoe shoestring attaching to them, uh, recording style. Did that, that ever we had do before. anything? I, I'm sorry. Like, I, 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 I used never to try that as to. a kid, and I would be I would be so ambitious about it. Like I would get these fucking Campbell soup cans <laughs> and like sh- the best string I could find, and we go on opposite sides of like a playground. What is it supposed to do? Like, what happens? I don't understand. The trick understand. is you attach Ethernet cable to both cups. And oh, that's, that, why. that's you know, why. Bluetooth it, it enabled. It connects you too. into the internet. Yeah, yeah, right. And that usually worked out that's, pretty well. well I, that's, that's, that's what I was doing so, wrong. So, yeah, give yeah. that a shot. This is also in, in the 1980s. But How you been? I've been pretty good. Yeah? Pretty good. Yeah. A little busy. Been a little hectic. It's been a little bit hectic. I know it's been hectic for you, too. You had a migraine yesterday. I did. How are yeah. you feeling? Man, those who are listening, if you have migraines, well, first of all, if you have a migraine right now, stop this right now. Stop listening. Lie down. Have some water and, and maybe cry. some aspirin. That just usually, cry. I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where you can't you can't just keep powering through it. You have to stop. Yeah. And for me, I woke up with it, and it was just I knew it was going to be bad. Has it, so this has been an ongoing problem for you for years. Yeah, I get them maybe like once or twice a month. That's maybe, a lot. That is a lot. That it, is it's a probably lot. more like once a month, you know. And and usually I can catch it early and take an aspirin, and I'm okay. But after a while, the aspirin stops wearing working, so I switch to like Advil. You know, you kind of like rotate through the uh, over the counter drugs and right. try to prevent it that way. But yeah, it's tough. Do, does are you photosensitive when you have uh, one? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I am. And and dark room and some sleep usually is the only thing that's so depressing because really like not help. only do you feel like shit but you're also like entombed you're like you forcing yourself anything. to sleep yeah yeah oh god it's the worst yeah it is. I, I've, I've had migraines in my, I, I don't get them routinely i've got maybe twice a year mm-hmm. um and they go pretty quickly but like my mom for example has like debilitating migraines i feel like it's something that if if you struggle with it it like becomes a part of your like Identity, oh, which is actually an, an accidental segue into what we're going to talk about today. I mean, I've never thought of migraines as part of my identity, frankly. But but they I, are I because they inform right. some some aspect of who you are. They you totally know? do. And actually, the interesting thing is, I was just thinking about this. They they travel back all the way. They don't travel actually. I do. I guess. Um, well, they might too. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it goes all the way back to my childhood. I used to get them, what and I didn't your, know what, was your what they were. First migraine, you know? Uh, you know that I don't know. I just remember getting plagued with these awful headaches to the point where you'd start like vomiting oh my and god and i just thought i was sick with something at the time i never really connected the dots somehow my my uh, lovely parents i guess <laughs> didn't connect the dots either i'm not sure what happened there um but uh yeah I, I mean you know you just deal with it and thankfully i've been able to sort of figure out um you know getting more sleep and and drinking a lot of water also i found usually so there are ways to prevent, prevent them i think so yeah. yeah but you know this is turning into like a, a self-help uh, medical podcast. It now. is. We're actually. We're now. This is actually the doctor's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's. It's been a quick transition for us. It's a. Uh, it's been a been a quick journey. I mean, that's but the thing here. about being dads, right? It's like in this era, where we're, you got to be a jack of all trades, kind of thing. You know. Yeah, you do. You got to bring it. You got to be a jackass of everything. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I. I, uh, I. I. I don't know if you're like me in this, and actually, you know, we can discuss this too. But you actually have reasons to think about things like you know cancer and and disease and things like that. Yeah. I always go straight to the absolute worst possible outcome of anything. Really? Oh I think God. I'm with, the opposite. With, uh, 
yeah, because because you're like a normal person. I fucking <laughs> I don't know about that. Like there have been so many times in my life where I have like deliberately not told like my parents or my wife about something that like I know I need to get like checked out because I'm like this could be the end. Like this could be it. Wow. But Tell my me, wife had a example. moment like that too. Well, I'll get to oh, one in a second. Oh, all right. You've got but, something. But so Micah, my wife, uh, had she gets migraines occasionally as well. Mm-hmm. And she uh, and she had like a sort of a cluster of them with like a, sort of an associated aura thing Ugh. a couple of years ago. Yeah, but she didn't know that's what it was. She never been formally diagnosed with any of this, you know. Right. So she was like, um, she didn't want to tell me. She was like, I think this could be like brain cancer. Like this could be it. Oh man! So we like went to the doctor, and, and the doctor was just like, No, you just have migraines. And she was like, Oh, like thank God. <laughs> but for me, like, and I might have told you the story, but I haven't told anybody else listening to this this story. So years ago, I just randomly started like losing my proprioceptive ability like i like and I, I noticed it because i was parking in a parking garage and i like definitely sideswiped a column that i was like looking i was like aware that there was a column there but i was like <laughs> pulling into it you just proceeded to swipe and i was still like just like grinding the car and i was like whoa that was weird and then uh, and then i did the same thing pulling out of our garage one time where like it just kind of scraped the side of the car and i was like i'm looking at the side of the garage like why am i not like i don't oh, know how big this car is or i don't know like i, I lost my ability to I sense i don't think that. you ever told me this and i was like getting very dizzy when i was reading uh-huh and uh and i was like uh and i was like experiencing some mild vertigo in some situations and so of course like you know i go online and it's like very clear that this is like a stage 4 brain tumor at this <laughs> point so i was like so filled with dread for like a week and i didn't want to say anything to anybody and i was just like you know i like got the car buffed out you know and i didn't say anything to my wife i was like you know you this got is the, the car end. buffed like, out you did you know, all of this without ever telling her <laughs> no well i just said you know what about i just the didn't people feel whose car good. you uh hit Oh, it was just the column. Oh, that, yeah, right. No, you I said that yeah, already. Was, yeah, column. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I hit other cars just out of spite, but that's, right. you know, yeah. That was just and then proceeded they, to, like, they had speed off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's what I did. I drove through the it's wall. Your style, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I went for, like, a week where I just, like, was sitting there just perseverating on this and getting – and then I booked an appointment with my eye doctor uh-huh. because I was like, maybe I should get that looked at first. And it turns out that they had fucking switched my prescription around at my last eye appointment <laughs> that I had just had. And so, like, I have an astigmatism, and they put the astigmatism thing in the wrong eye. So, like, so I had no depth perception Wait a minute. So before all. any of this happened, you got a new pair of glasses. Yeah, like the week before this And that didn't – at all, it didn't occur no, to you at any point before you started Googling it all. I assumed I had stage four brain cancer. Maybe I just like, this is... I went right to that, you know. Wow. Yeah. So, so they were like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, this must have been so annoying for you." And I was like, "Yeah, I <laughs> thought, I, thought I was mildly. dying for fucking six days." <laughs> so they switched the prescription around. Then I was totally fine. But I, I, I just, I don't I, know if I, I go do back that sometimes to that eye doctor. I, I gotta say, I know, but I just, I just hate going to the eye. The dentist and the eye doctor are yeah, the two things for me. Where the, I'm like, oh, I gotta do the this. The energy it would take to switch the doctor. That's it's just thing. not even. I'm worth in the same it. boat with yeah, yeah. It's like let me like no, get on, the, on like with the healthcare provider and just wait for like an hour on hold and like you know yeah. I mean, it's actually not that bad. I'm just lazy. That's what it comes down to, I suppose. It's just a fundamental. Rather laziness. be doing stuff like you know. I'm lazy and terrified, and I think that is basically. That's pretty much your outlook on that's, life. That's that's me. Yeah, lazy and terrified. I have it tattooed actually. Just lazy and terrified. <laughs> Ride till you die. Anyway, so today uh, you had mentioned a an interesting little topic for us to talk about. Identity. Yeah. You want to elaborate Identity. on that? Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty uh, meta, right? We're getting deep all of a sudden. Episode three, it feels like it's about right, you know, to, to dive a little deeper. Um, I thought this could be an interesting one, you know, now that we have good mics and you can actually understand what we're saying a little bit. Um, we can go a little bit deeper into why we're doing this. And I think a lot of that, <clears throat> I'll speak for myself, it came out of this place of 
Um, being young dad, you know, I now have been a dad for two and a half years. Uh, and as a young person as well, um, young 30s. John's only 11 years old. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very precocious. Yeah, don't ask about how the, the kids got <laughs> made. Um, and so, you know, I think you're in this moment in life where you're still, you've still sort of hopefully come to terms with who you are and, and maybe coming to terms with is a little bit of a hard way of saying it, but I think there is this definite uh, exploration of who you are, who you want to be, right? If for nothing more, I mean, the practical matter of like choosing a career um, and choosing, you know, a mate. <laughs> you know, there's lots of life stuff happening at this point in our lives. Choosing a place to live, a place to raise kids. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like... Exactly. Because if so, I was actually having this conversation with my friend Greg last night, who I grew up, went to kindergarten with, and, you know, we've been friends since Oh, wow, since and you've been then. in touch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And he's also a young dad. He should come on the show one of these times. Yeah. It'd be fun. Uh, and he was mentioning how he had done a leadership exercise at like a conference and they, they had kind of mapped out their lives, you know, like, like a stream of water kind of like, you know, from, from when, when they were born basically until when they got to the current place. Wow. And he mentioned how like everybody had this moment around like the end of college where, uh, it got very turbulent all of a sudden because there became a lot more options about what was happening and the narrative of our lives that's kind of like prescribed at birth fell away somewhat. Mm. And I was thinking that's totally what, what I went through as well because, you know, I was born in just a, sort of a normal, semi-affluent, shoreline Connecticut town where it was pretty much like, you know, a given that I was going to go to college. I was going to, you know, be a good student. I was going to be involved in these various activities. And then I would come out of that and then figure out what my career was going to be, you know. And, and so it's kind of like color by numbers a little bit. And there was obviously a lot of complication in there. There was yeah. a lot of entropy. Like there was a lot of, you know, stress. And I'm not saying it was necessarily – you know, that easy. Right. But, but the roadmap was mystery. there. Is pretty, right, exactly. exactly right? And Not then, much and mystery. Then, mm-hmm. And then in college, you reach this point. It's like the last decision you make before shit gets real is what major <laughs> you're going to be in college. Because that's like, that's when you're like, oh, this is like somewhat codifying what I'm going to mm, be, you know? That's right. And then after that, it's like, what Supposedly. do I do after I graduate? Like, where do I get, like, what, how do I make myself into like a functioning semi-independent person, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where a lot of those decisions start to get made. And then now in our 30s, like I just turned 33, we have uh, like this whole new set of decisions about, you know, whether our kids – like the one we're dealing with right now is whether or not to send our eldest kid to kindergarten. Mm. And it's this like whole, you know, big thing. And uh, and it's a, a decision that as a kid you don't even think about having to make at some point. And then it's like now it's like a real – like we have a deadline to figure this out. You know, we have to know what we're going to do. And this could have ramifications that go across the span of his entire – youth you know no pressure <laughs> right that's right. that that sort of sums up parenting doesn't it it's like you've got to be mindful of in the moment uh making a decision because like you gotta you know move on with your day or get the kid out of the house whatever it is you also know that that same decision you're making you're setting a model for or potentially uh leaving a mark on that kid and how they approach you know whatever that thing is i mean certainly school is a more uh extreme example right where we know that sort of paves the way but right I do think I agree. You know, it's like in college, I had that experience where I thought I was on a particular track. For me, that was communications um, and film in particular. So I studied film at Curry College and uh, I I really love communication broadly as well. I loved studying sort of the, the history of communication and um, some various, you know, communication techniques and different formats and all of that. But film is the area where I going into college thought, all right, that's where I'm going to apply my my interest and passion. And the thing that 
I guess came out of nowhere for me is this interest in international development um, that has led me to where I am now, which is web manager at Oxfam. Uh, Patrick and I both work at Oxfam. We're recording from there, and uh, <laughs> we're inside from, it from right our lunch now. break. Oh, yeah. yeah, we are inside <laughs> Oxfam, <clears throat> and I guess uh, any, anyway. So, so for me, it was like out of nowhere. Um, two things happened. One is I went to a U two concert. <laughs> How cheesy is that? Right? It's like the start of a bad movie or something. Um, <laughs> and the second is that I met. Uh, a young guy, a, stu- a fellow student at Curry College who was one of the so-called lost boys of Sudan who had traveled to the U.S. with many of his uh, fellow young people from Sudan and had to just pick up his life and start in the U.S. at a young age and then go to school here. Really incredible story that I would encourage uh, folks to check out. This is actually this great book. It's a fiction, but it's sort of like a, it's based on reality. What is the what? Exactly. Dave Eggers, powerful read. That's a um, great book. Got to plug that. But so I started learning more about basically other people, you know, and, and the focus we're talking now about identity for me, actually, there was a pretty head on thing happening where I, I went, I went into an honors program at college and the subject matter the first year was identity and exploring who we are and mm. uh, multicultural identity as well. So sort of getting outside of ourselves. And it was really, I guess it, it was a pretty mind blowing moment for me where I didn't, I never realized just how, um, man, how blind I was, you know, to other people. <laughs> I mean, I was just like this typical high schooler, you know, totally self-absorbed. Um, I mean, I did pretty well in school and all, but there was a moment in in college where it just opened up my world in exactly the way that it should, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and we all have different experiences of probably many, you know, eye-opening experiences. Well, but for I, I me, also that think was... that developmentally it's important to have this sort of solipsistic youth where you kind of think you're at the center of the universe and that like your immediate experience is like the definitive global immediate experience yeah. because, because it gives you confidence in yourself as like a person, you know? Uh, yeah, like, I suppose like, that's true. So, so I don't think it's, it's you be a little selfish. It's kind a little of, you kind of have to be a little dick yeah. to like get some degree of like selfhood mm-hmm. and then you get that selfhood and then it's what you do with it. You know, that that determines whether or not you're actually a douchebag. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nicely right? put. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. yeah was, Confucius actually wrote Confucius, that on yeah. a tablet. Yeah. Papyrus. Um, I was thinking iPad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you know what I mean? Like, like there, there's that moment where you be- begin to choose whether or not to expand outside of yourself mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Yep. Or go more internal, I guess. Or, yeah, or and, or tribalize mm-hmm. and become mm-hmm. more inward driven and, you know, hold on to things that make you feel secure. I mean, because there's different personality types, right? There are people who like that, who like right. to feel very secure and like to feel like they know what an American is. Mm-hmm. They know what, you know, the the typical experience of an American looks like or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there, there are people who challenge that and who think like, well, maybe things that I've assumed to be one way are not the, necessarily the way that it should be for everybody. Yeah. But not everybody gets that. No, point. it's true, unfortunately. I mean, I, at the very least, I, I hope that our education system can expose people to that. And they may not have the sort of life-altering experience, you know, where their trajectory changes all that much. But I guess, you know, exposing people to other perspectives um, is the best we can hope for yeah. at the starting point. So you actually, you, I mean, you, you, you still make movies but 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 it's it's changed a little bit because i know you you did you know documentaries mm-hmm. you've done music videos so it's still a part of your life but I'm, I'm wondering was there a moment where you had to make a conscious like when you switched over to being primarily for example a communications person at oxfam yeah 
Like, was there a moment where you had to question who you thought you were or or did it kind of happen on its own? Yeah. So actually, it's funny. There was a very specific moment where this became kind of a hard decision. And that was actually bound up in my future with my now wife Mm -hmm. um, in that basically I felt like after college, if I wanted to really make a go at a film career, I can move to to Los Angeles. Right. You know, I mean, we actually Curry College had a community out there. We had I had gone for a a week long intensive um, course. So I kind of was exposed to, you know, L.A. and Hollywood and. California. Um, yeah. <laughs> the dream, right? And so I did. I, it was a tough time. I mean, I remember actual arguments with my wife at the time, uh, who wasn't my wife at the time, because it did feel like we were making decisions that would really shape the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And and for her, being close to family, you know, knowing that someday we were going to have kids um, was so important. Like, basically a non-starter. Like, she couldn't imagine living elsewhere and I respect that you know I mean that's something that you both have to be on the same page about Mm -hmm. for me um, I guess I sort of toggled between the two because on one hand I didn't want to be away from family and the community that I had here on the other hand I wondered am I missing out you know am I kind of cutting that life path short based on this decision now um, and however, those decisions, like you never, you never anticipate them until they yeah, arrive, and yeah. then you're like, "Oh my god, I have to decide if that's where my life will go." Right, and it sounds you know? so dramatic, and I suppose but in hindsight, is. it is. But at the same time, who knows what'll change? I mean, right. five years from now, maybe I'll move to LA, and we'll all be a happy family out there, and like, you know what I mean? And I'll direct a major motion picture. I'm going to have hundred Oscars yeah. in, in a couple I weeks. Mean, yeah. You never know. You never know. Call me. <laughs> Please. No, but it's true. It, it, it evolves so quickly. And uh, and especially as your life gets more complicated, as you allow people into it, like Bethany, like other people in your life, like you get all these other viewpoints and you realize because when you're a kid, like I was saying, you have these dreams about what you're going to be. You know, like everybody yeah. has these very specific goals about what they're what they want, because like you have to go towards something and it's a lot easier to go towards something you can really clearly see. Right. That's right. It's a lot harder to go towards this nebulous idea of like having a family that's relatively close to other family, but mm-hmm. still close enough to my possible career options that I can like commute, you know, maybe long distance three days a week. Like no kid thinks about that. Yeah. No kid thinks about <laughs> telecommuting. You know matters, what I mean? Yeah. Like and 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 part of life, I think, is about finding the beauty in those moments of transition and allowing them in as parts of your new composite human experience. You know? Mm. Um, and it's something that I have dealt with my entire I still deal with constantly, you know? Yeah, no, I'm with you there. It, because you can spend so much time sort of obsessed about the goals and and sort of you know where you're looking ahead and where you want to get to but much more of life i have also found is about how you adapt to what's sort of coming at you i think that's all of life and i, yeah. I, I honestly think like we, cause we brought this up on uh, the control episode that we did about parenting mm-hmm. you know about whether or not we actually have any real control in these situations <laughs> Over anything, yeah. and it's true we just don't we just don't you know well I, I mean i would challenge that you know i don't think it's i don't i wouldn't say it's all the way at that extreme i mean it's not chaos but of course but, but it's 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 it, what it is more is that we don't have control over the variables that we're presented with. We yes. have control over what we do with them. That's right. But the actual situations that arise yeah. are things that we don't. That, that there's too much going on for us to really have control over it. You know? And I think we also we have some control over where we aim ourselves. I would say. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. and that was sort of the moment that I had. You know, with ultimately deciding not to move to LA because the other thing for me is so there was a decision between you know moving and staying. But the other aspect of this was a decision between a future in film. And that whole industry and a future in 
nonprofit international development. Because as I said, I really, the more I was exposed to that issue in college, the more I felt like, uh, you know, it's so cliche to say, but it felt like a calling, you know, mm-hmm. it felt like something that I, I didn't anticipate or choose to like get into. But the more I learned about it, the more I was like, I have to use my communication background to, to show other people what's going on. You know? We're gonna we're gonna put some inspirational music under this, right? Yeah, this right. Is- <laughs> it has to crescendo. You know, I haven't actually hit, hit the, the climax. It's, it's gonna be of the this. Olympics theme that John Williams wrote. By yeah, the end of, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Good. It'll build up. So, I mean, I think it's about where you aim yourself. And in that moment, I decided, you know what, the film stuff. I want to be present in my life, and and more broadly than film, I would say is the the sort of creative communications aspect of it, where you're creating art for the sake of art. Say, mm-hmm. um, I knew I wanted to sort of preserve that in my life. At the same time, I felt like for a career choice and a sort of you know path ahead, I did want to at least starting out um, aim towards the international development, you know, helping end global poverty. If mm-hmm. I had to put it in a sentence, like my focus specifically communicating about global poverty in such a way that it reframes it for us, so that we understand that hey, you can make a difference. Like you can actually f- change this. You know, um, that to me was really inspiring. Uh, I mentioned the U2 concert, and that was sort of planted a seed in terms of how you communicate about global poverty. And so, yeah, so, uh, you know, it just, that was, I decided in that moment I wanted to sort of aim my communication background towards this social justice cause. And, you know, here I am seven years later at Oxfam. Uh, There were some moments in between there, too. But, um, you know, I kind of like to think of my life in chapters, and and, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. I guess it was just, you know, the college chapter happened. Well, what's interesting is those chapters don't really reveal themselves until you pass them. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like movements in art. You know, oh, like it's so like, true. like when you're when you're contributing to a, a movement in art, you don't identify yourself. You don't go like, "Hi, like I'm a neoclassicist." Like you know, <laughs> you say I'm an artist. You know, and then I hope not. Yeah. Twenty years later, somebody goes like, "Oh, like that was a neoclassical emergence, like uh-huh. in culture. Like like it's that only was, in hindsight. Like pop art was a cohesive movement. You know, it wasn't. Right. But at the time, you know, you're just making art." That feels relevant. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the same thing with our lives. Like, because I agree, I see my life, my life in chapters as well, but I don't realize they were chapters because they don't line up as neatly as we'd like them to. Like, my college chapter really ended, I think, like a few years ago, you know, like, like after we, because I, I would even say that, like, when, when Micah and I first got married and mm-hmm. we, you know, we were kind of like traveling around a lot, like, to me, like, that still sort of fits into that sort of college era because mm, we were kind of untethered. Yeah. We were, we were allowed to be more kind of like, you know, take the whim and whimsy wherever it goes. Um, take spontaneous trips to places, you know, like we, we weren't beholden to as many other things. We didn't see our families as much because mm-hmm. we were all, you know, kind of looking inward. We, we were focusing on our relationship, you know. Yeah, but like parties, you know. Yeah, just constant. Of course. Just every single day. Um, just constant, you know, doctor's appointments for potential brain tumors. Um, it was this like <laughs> all very... All blackouts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to do something to look at that. It was a time that that we were really focused on ourselves, and there's something to me about the, mm. the flipping away from that when you start being like, "Oh, like I'm important for other people as well." Um, that to me, like that was a kind of a chapter demarcation, but um, that didn't like line up with my graduating college. It lined up really with trying to plan a family out mm. and have kids. Yeah, so, like, that's, that's so been, interesting to hear. That's been a big chapter break for me too, and and also like early childhood when you're kind of innocent and. You know, like b- before, I had the ability to like stick up for myself in any real way, and I and I was just sort of um, learning and mm-hmm. being a child. Like that, that that's its own really beautiful chapter too. You know, like when the world is very small. Totally. Like I think about that a lot with our kids now. It's so exciting to be able to like be 
even witness to that, you know, with our kids. Yeah, and to be there and to see it mm-hmm. emerge. Like when, because um, we've already seen it with Jude, our eldest, like, you know, because he's, he's nearly five now, which is insane. And uh, it, like, you know, but he's he's very articulate, you know, and he, he's always yeah. been very expressive Animated, in how he talks. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so he's always like tells us stories and things. And, and when he was two or three, like those stories were all about like mommy and daddy, you know, mm-hmm. and occasionally Nona and Pop Pop or, you know, his or, you know, Micah's parents, you know, but it, it were, you know, his her brother and sister or my sister. It was always like the sort of insular family thing because that was like the entirety of his world. That's you right. Know? Which is so beautiful and so sort of primal and like something that you forget about because like you know there is a time when lives are so small like henry our youngest his life is so small right now you know mm-hmm. like he knows us better than anything in the world you know he knows his brother and he knows extended family like it's just this very tight thing and he can't express himself in any real meaningful way yet because he doesn't have the language for it although he can understand but it's like this very this very tight very beautiful very brightly burning world experience mm. And then, but now Jude, who's like, you know, a few years older than Henry is, he has his own friends and they have their own jokes yeah, so and they have their own experiences. Circle expands. And it does. And, and you see it happening and it's already like, it's already out of control. Like I, I can't keep up with the things that he brings home from school that he, like he tells us these stories about. And I'm like, oh man, like this was this new friend that he had that I forgot even existed. Like, I don't know. I've never seen this kid <laughs> Isn't before. it amazing already that happened? It's amazing. And he's just a four-year-old. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But isn't there and something like, so, as you said, I, it just sounds wonderful to have this like close-knit you know what it feels it feels manageable because <laughs> right. I, I don't know how, how you know you might relate to this but the the sphere or the you know the our community at this point in our lives it feels unmanageable it's yeah. like i know i'm oh, letting yeah. people down yeah me too you know and it's it's like part of it i think you know it'd be interesting to have an episode where we talk more about technology and social media and all that because that certainly plays a, a massive role in this but um there is something beautiful about that just having like your close family you know even just with school that's still so much more manageable and like we're we're, i feel like we're as humans we're equipped to handle that Mm -hmm. and i wonder you know where we're at now it's actually exceeded our ability to even handle that many relationships because now we have tools that allow us to very easily go beyond what a typical human experience would have been a hundred years ago you know Mm mm-hmm um, and so, like, now there's this expectation that you're going to be plugged into a network of people that you could never do physically because, yeah. you know, we just have the ability to do it. And it's become the societal standard for things. And so, like, now um, there's a constant – you're right. There's a constant disconnect, I think, between our actual everyday lives and the circles of people with whom we interact and then the expanded circles of our lives of people that with whom we have some degree of relationship. You know, mm-hmm. some of them are very close. Like some some of my closest friends, uh, like my co-hosts on the other podcast that I'm on, like, you know, we talk every single day, you know, throughout the day. But, um, you know, I've never seen them in person. We've never actually yeah. hung out. Which know? is an amazing thing, Which right? Which is absolutely that incredible. Do that. Absolutely incredible. But, like, you know, we're not equipped as people to yeah. – there, there, there will always be – which is why we're going to hopefully get to visit each other soon. There will always be this weird kind of disconnect, mm-hmm. you know, because, like, I, I think a lot about how um, – like at this point in my life, I am basically always letting some people down. Yeah, you know, yeah. like kind of no matter what. How I depressing do, is that? It is. It is depressing, and it's also like you kind of just have to set you gotta be expectations okay and be like, yeah. it's not because I don't care, and it's not because I'm a bad person, but it's because like you know, life is really complicated. I think that also is a part of uh, the identity shift with having kids and your own family. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of a nuclear family, I guess, where you do go back to a place where you're like 
you kind of want to shrink down that community more and just focus on the people who you feel are going to be, I I don't know how to put it. It's like you want to surround yourself in people that are going to, you want to be with. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's obvious, I suppose, but also that you want your kids to be around, right? you know, and that it's like you've got to. The bar almost becomes higher, <laughs> yeah. you know, for who for who you, <laughs> you want to hang, hang out with. with us? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. frankly, the, like the time part of it alone, you know, I mean, that's you just have so one. much less yeah, time, so there's no way to do it. Um, so that's, I think, that is a big part of the identity shift too. And I've heard that that happens as you get older and older. Your your community goes like shrinks down and down because you don't necessarily want to be around as many people. Yeah. Um, and because uh, we're tired, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and there's a lot to do. So much of this that's kind of a, a thread, right? It's like you yeah. just get more and more tired. You just get t- <laughs> everybody's got a finite amount of energy, yeah, you know. Yeah. And at a certain point, you find yourself rubbing up against that barrier, and you're like, "All right, I think that is the extent of like what I can reasonably do." And mm-hmm. I'm experiencing that right now, yeah, because uh, I'm doing uh, an, an arrangement for somebody um, who. Uh, is having a uh, an acapella song that he, that he wanted me to arrange as kind of you know because I've been out of college for you know eleven. Why don't we years Why don't now. we go into that a little bit? So oh yeah, yeah 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 I think you know you spoke of that chapter right after or rather it has continued just up until Oxfam. So what did that chapter look like for you? Like what 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 led you to be at Oxfam? Because you're someone who you just said you're you're sort of running out of some of that energy. Yeah. Um. But you know from the outside you're a person that from the very beginning I can see has so much of this. Um, magnanimous, would that be the right word to use? <laughs> You're the one who's like a a, a, a a dictionary over here. I can't even think of the word dictionary. Never mind. Um, You're a dick. <laughs> we'll say dick. <laughs> I mean, you know, the words that you've used in this podcast alone, I've been impressed by. But anyway, so you've got this energy right from the get go, this outgoing energy that I think draws people in, uh-huh. and also the passion that you bring to the to your hobbies and to everything you do, basically. Um, wow, I'm really putting you up on a high horse I know, right this now. This is great. Just keep going, you Just man. keep going, yeah. I, you know, it's, so it's funny. I'm, I'm what, curious to hear, like, you know, how did that all sort of start? Like, where was that, you know, big bang moment for you? Yeah, that's, that's really sweet of you to say that, by the way. Um, well, I, it's I, true. Yeah, I, it's, I wouldn't say it otherwise. I think it might be more Believe an issue me, of wanna. the image that I project. Like, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm probably more tired and stressed out than I, I tend to, like, let off about So underneath things. it all, you just go it's to bed. It's just a nightmare. Like, oh. Yeah, it's just a constant. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, p- part of it for me, and I'll, I'll give my little background on this in a minute, but part of it for me is realizing as I get older something very fundamentally true about myself, mm-hmm. which is that I have a tremendous amount of energy for things that I really love and care about. And the reason why it might seem like there is a lot of energy to donate to these things yeah. is because I love and care about like kind of an embarrassing amount of things. Like I really – like I'm somebody who has like just a ridiculous amount of interests and passions – too many, but it's also something. What a that, gift, like, though. Yeah, it's something that, like, as I've gotten older, I'm like, it's just who I am, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. okay. Like, I, I can have my fingers on a lot of different things, and and I can feel like that's. But it also means that you know, like, I'm never going to be a, a really specialized person, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like one of my best friends, Doug, is a physicist, and he is, and you know, oh, and, and I mean, we just, you know, we really, really close. He's like family to me, and we and we talk every week, and uh, and he like just dedicates so much of his time and energy to like very specific problems you mm. know, to very specific things and he teaches now too and and you know and it's all about this very specific thing and outside of that he has hobbies yeah but they don't like sort of control him the way that they that mind control me you know <laughs> and so it's it's just so he so he always brings this up too he's always like how do you like how do you know so much about so many things like 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 how do you how do you go into situations and have these conversations because you know we'll be talking with people like he, for example i was talking to this professor from cambridge um on Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. that I co-host. 
and he was talking Check about you. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about architecture, and and I and I was going on and on about architecture because it's something that I almost did with my life, and it's something that I really love. And Doug was listening to this episode, and he was laughing because he's like, this this guy probably thinks that like that's like the, your main other attribute is that you really love architecture, <laughs> but it's like this one of a million things that yeah, I could have brought right. up. Um, but it's just true. It's like you know, I feel like part of learning who you are is learning where you draw your energy from. Mm, so true. And for me, it's like, it's probably the same reason why I was a bad student for much of my life. Mm-hmm. Not like a bad student, but why I like kind of struggled in school a little bit. Was but because, a bad student. But a bad, <laughs> with two Ds. Leather jacket. Bad, yeah. Wrote a Harley I'm smoke into, a cigarette. Yeah. And sounded like that. You can't even yeah. keep up that voice for a minute. Never mind. Yeah. Um, but part of my issue in school was that I, I had a hard, and this is not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this is a good thing. I had a hard time focusing on things that I didn't have already an interest in, mm. which is, I think, a terrible attribute. And something I mean, we're that, all like, there, though, right? I think we're all there, but I think I had extent. a pretty acute case of it. Sounds like, like you didn't even go to those classes, right? I, you, you just abandoned them entirely. I just smoking entirely. on the playground. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just like, really just did not um, you know, commit myself unless I had some sort of a deep passion for it. And yeah. if I had a deep passion for it, I was the best in the school of course it, you know yeah. what i mean yeah the best there so, ever was the, the, the best in the history of the you, universe so. yeah there's many statues and the architectural school <laughs> yeah, of your right, high school yeah. which Everybody apparently they had that's architectural the only thing school. i'm into I don't even, that's amazing <laughs> that they did but. no but it's true like I, I i feel like and as i've gotten older i've tried to be more open to allowing other people's passion to fuel my passion for things mm, and so like letting them kind of you know get me excited about something and then i and then i always f- overdo it and then i become like this fucking expert in it you know <laughs> But it's just sort of who I am. But but the way that I got to Oxfam, just briefly, as you know, uh, is through music because I'm a, a composer and a performer. and I, I sing and I write contemporary classical music. So I came to Boston for grad school. I went to the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley from 2008 to 2010, which really sounds like a long time ago now that <laughs> I say it I out know, loud. Man. Oh, my God. That's crazy. It doesn't sound like a lot to me. Like 2000 sounds like it was, you know. A couple years ago. Yeah, but have you seen but video footage from it? it is actually a long time ago. You're right. When you see video oh footage, like you see news clips or something, you know, and it's like all pixelated or it's not even pixelated because it's, it's just, not pixels. It, well, it's just on magnetic film, but yeah, like, the, yeah. but that's the thing you is see, it's like on the, film. the noise like, and yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on tape rather, on, v, on VHS tape. Um, it's black and white. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, there's just there's horses cards, everywhere. Yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's title cards. Title cards being held up. Meanwhile. But I, so yeah, so I came here for grad school and then... And I still have kept up with music quite a lot, although my relationship with it has become more manageable, I think, which we can talk about at another point. Um, but uh, I was temping after grad school and tempted Oxfam in 2010 and fell in love with it, fell in love with the mm. mission of it, fell in love with the people. And I felt really at home. And I was like, oh, I really would love to like find a way to go back to it. So I tempted again. And then, and then that was kind of where everything came from since. But... Um, Part of why I've stayed so long, other than, other other than just liking the mission and liking the commute and all these various things, these reasons people stay and the uh, <clears throat> people that you work with, <laughs> yeah, and well, not you, yeah. It, it, part of it is because uh, my job has transformed over time to allow me to uh, have more of my creative uh, interests tied into it, and so so now like I have this just incredibly weird job description that um, encompasses all these like very disparate technical skill sets that I've just gotten. It's so perfectly suited to you, right? I know. It's it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing, but but it's every day is a new challenge and I I really thrive on that a lot. But um, I also know that it means that like in the future, if I do leave at some point, like I I don't know what the hell to market myself as. You're not able to leave yet. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, now I'm locked here forever. (laughs) Um, But 
the reason I bring this up in the context of this identity conversation is that there have been many moments for me through the years where I've had to question whether or not I am primarily a musician because mm. my entire life since I was four or five, the first time I sang in a choir, like that has been what I have been defined as in, in most other people's wow. eyes and in my own eyes. Yeah, because I, I, I was Amazing. a very quick study at it. Mm-hmm. And then I sang in this professional choir from the ages of seven to 13. And I have just I have never stopped with this very rigorous relationship with with music. And, you know, composing came about in my teenage years and I just became completely obsessed with it. And um, so now, like when when I you know, maybe five years ago, when I met people, I would always say, oh, yeah, I'm a composer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now, like I stopped going straight to that and I just kind of don't bring up what I do, because what I do now is more than what I thought it would be. You know, for mm. most of my life, yeah. So yeah. I don't, and, and and I part of me feels like that's exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, because there's no friction between not being where I want to be in one career or the other. It's like it's like they all feed into my conception of myself and what I want to do. Totally. And I feel like there's I'll a nice alignment there. Yeah, and uh-huh. and I'll come out of this someday. This sort of period of flux, knowing what I'm actually doing with my life, but like. But until then, like, I'm kind of enjoying this adventurous time of, mm. you know, anything could happen. But in the midst of that, I mean, I'm composing a, a ballet and I'm doing all this, you know, really interesting I don't work know how you that. find the time. I mean, it's, it's amazing to but me it's that as energy. I've seen it's you like, do it. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like you, 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 find, you find ways of finding time to do it. That For being said, that though. you draw energy from, like you said. But that being said, like today, like I had an alarm set. And it wasn't even early. It was for 6 o'clock to get up to work mm-hmm. before I came in. And I did not wake up at all. Like, I, I missed my first train coming in today because I overslept so much. So, like, I'm definitely right now hitting a wall a little bit. With so you're not to super out. after all. No, no. I'm, yeah. I'm a very tired person a lot of the time. <laughs> but it's like how you navigate that fatigue and what you choose to put time into and not put time into that, you know, I think determines yeah. how much you can really get done. Well, and the other thing is, you know, alongside all of that, again, there is this emergence of an identity as a dad. And how mm-hmm. that sort of disrupts or, uh, you know, I'm using disrupt in a positive word there, the sort of, you know, tech buzz word, <laughs> buzz use of the word, which is usually disruptive positive. Disruptive technology. Yeah, exactly. The disruptive technology in this case is is children. And that chapter, um, it's so interesting to me how we embrace that identity while also carrying forward um, our the identity that we've cultivated over the years. And those right. things don't have to be at odds. But I will say, I think... I think dads kind of get a bad rap on this one. Mm. I think that, uh, well, first off, there's an unreasonable um, expectation still on moms that, you know, their new identity is the primary is a mom. Right. Right. There's still that old school, like, even though we're at a place now where, you know, it's much, obviously, it's much more common for moms to be working um, and for, you know, for society to be okay with that, there is still, I feel, when when a mom becomes a mom, like that's the primary part of her identity. Right. And and with a dad, I think it's expected that the identity that was there before is still the primary, and the dad is like a, mm-hmm. you know, a supporting thing or a secondary. Um, I don't at all feel that to be the case, and I know you don't. No. Um, but it's interesting to me that we still live at a time, and and you know, the reason I wanted to talk through this in particular is because I feel like it's at the core of what we're trying to do right here with this podcast. Right. It's like we are dads who have you know lives outside of being a dad who have spent the last you know 32 years 33 years um becoming the people that we think we're supposed to be or whatever and at the same time we're exploring this new territory of fatherhood and for us that's who we are that's that's the Mm -hmm. core thing 
you know, above and beyond everything else, it's like, this is what we're, <laughs> this is what we're, our challenge now. You know, as you said earlier, it's like. Well, it almost is a crystallization, you know, mm. because it, it's, it's funny what you're saying really resonates with me because I, I definitely noticed since becoming a dad that the urgency of my other pursuits completely melted away. Oh, man. So and that much was so. so liberating for Isn't me because it? I, cause, cause in the past I approached all of these different things with this like tremendous amount of sort of perfectionism and this like drive and like, you know, I, I had to like, I remember like I had a goal <laughs> sheet that I would carry with me about like when I wanted to win the Pulitzer Prize. Like it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, it's, amazing. It's, it's ridiculous. And uh, when and, was it? Like next year? Uh, it was two years ago. Yeah. Oh man, this, I made that you one. Got some work I was to nineteen do. when I made that list. <laughs> the Pulitzer yeah, yeah, I have to now. I have to just get a time the youngest, machine. The youngest Pulitzer Prize. It would have been the youngest in history. Yeah. So now I have to invent a time machine, go back two years ago. Yeah. And then, then I can. There you go. Yeah. So you should still leave it's, that. It's on pretty your goal low list. goals, you know. Yeah. But there's this moment when I became a dad where I was like, oh my god, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore mm-hmm. because the actual legacy of my life that I care about is with my family. Yeah. And it was not what was great for me and I think for you too, although I won't speak for you, is that there was a melting away of expectation and a melting away of pressure in a lot mm. of ways. Which I fought at first a little bit. You know, I, I really was like, I'm still gonna go to every single concert I can get to yeah. and, and shake hands with every single person and I'm still gonna apply for every grant <laughs> and I'm still gonna do all these things and I'll, you know, kill myself doing it, but like I'm not gonna become like quote unquote just a dad. Uh huh. And then I realized that like if I am quote unquote just a dad, I am a very happy person. That's right. You know, yeah, and that is totally. so liberating. It is liberating, absolutely. And because then it allows you to choose what you want to do. It allows you to be like, you know what? Like, it's okay if I'm not the most ambitious person in the world. Like, that brings me happiness, mm-hmm. and I can bring that into my life in addition to, you know, fatherhood and being a husband. And it's just additive. It doesn't subtract anything. Yeah, I think that's so to- that's so totally true. And it has to happen, right? I mean, like, we're literally, in the in the early part especially, like, you're tasked with keeping another human being alive. Yeah, literally <laughs> survival. Yeah. And so everything else, it naturally falls away because, I mean, it's just not as important. And it does bring this incredible perspective about what's important in life and what is, you know, maybe not so important. Or at least it's not all riding on you because mm-hmm. that's the other thing, right? Like, we put so much pressure on ourselves as though we're, like, the, the gear and the uh, machine that's going to keep everything going. And um, it's just not the case. Right. You know? Because um, we in can't the even of, see the machine we're operating in. Yeah. Right? That's very true. Right? The machine reveals itself in stages and you're like, oh, I've been turning this I've been turning counterclockwise in this thing. I didn't realize it until it came upon me. You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, you know, you had said you, you sort of um, experienced that college chapter pretty much up to you had a kid. It's interesting because for Bethany, Bethany and I, my wife and I, I feel like we we pretty quickly, uh, as we developed our relationship together and got married, sort of entered into that more family mode. And I guess for us, you know, I mean, neither of us fully embraced the college life i mm. we both commuted you know it was a different experience oh that's that is different yeah, um, we talk but about that but i suppose the other big moment of course is you know right uh, just two weeks before i graduated i was diagnosed with testicular cancer and it it had this sudden um sort of like grabbing you and just shaking you you know moment of like oh this is actually going to happen now and this is where your life you know not not that it's sort of cast a shadow over my life but it certainly um puts pause on everything the mm. brakes really on everything that you're about to you think you're going to get into when you graduate college, right? And right. you suddenly, like, that's it. You're becoming, you know, an adult who is faced with this life and death scenario. I mean, you know, even putting it that way is a bit dramatic because I was fortunate to have a cancer that was incredibly um, treatable. Mm-hmm. But 
it is a, another moment in life that gave me so much perspective and I think ultimately led me to want to focus my energy where I felt I could help others, mm-hmm. you know, because the thing is for me when I went through that experience, so, so you know, it was surgery and then uh, three months of, of chemotherapy. So it was just a, a difficult time. And I remember so much want, never wanting to ask that question, why me? Why did this happen to me? And instead, my what I was so mad about is why am I afforded all of this incredible health care? Why right, can I right. survive cancer? And in the same world, at the same time, a child can be dying of, you know, lack of water. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is before I had kids, but it was like, it just brought the social justice part of my brain. It's something clicked and it felt like I that was the only option to move forward with, to at least apply, you know, some energy towards helping other people in that way. Um, and again, I feel like I'm being terribly cliche about this, but like... <laughs> no, I, I think it's 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 a wonderful... Um, I think we should like talk about the cancer stuff and maybe more in depth at some point because I think it's a really transformative... We'll just call the episode The Cancer we'll Stuff. Call the, we'll Sounds call it... We'll call it... Yeah. Skip this one yeah. if you don't or like health, serious I mean, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, but, but, a disclaimer uh, but there's it. something about mortality that really can put clarity around things and, uh, and, it's a, and it's wonderful for this organization and for you that your struggle with that gave you clarity that was around how privileged you've been mm. and 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 how privileged other people aren't. And this is something that is on my mind so much. Well, you know, I want to talk about identity. I know we got to wrap this up. But for me, like my, I, I have never thought of myself as a straight, white, cisgender male from an affluent family that never got divorced, that, you know, grew up in one house, that, like, I, I never thought of all of these layers of luck mm-hmm. that I have in my mm-hmm. life. Like, all of these facts in, in the United States, in a developed country, with one of the best school districts in the world. Like, I, I never thought about any of that, you know? I always thought it was all riding on me and my personal ability to do well or to not do well. Yeah. You don't realize and, it, right, until it's exposed to you. <laughs> yeah, and you have to be attuned to it in, in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. And you have to go, like, oh, my God, I've had so many breaks in my life that other people just never get, let alone people in, I mean, not even talk, talking about Sudanese, you know, boys, but, like, mm-hmm. t- people in my own country. Yeah. People who, if, like, I was talking to my friend Greg about this last night, if if everything fell apart in our lives, if, if Micah and I became destitute and we've got foreclosed on and we had to, you know... Like, we would never be on the street. Like, we have a network in place of people, like our family and our friends, who would not let that happen, you know? We would be we would be safe, but yeah. there are so many people in this world who don't have that. That's right, and so many people in our own country, so many people in our own state that don't have that. There are people in our state who, if they get foreclosed on, will be fucking homeless. You mm-hmm. know, it's true, and um, and, and you don't even think about that now as dads. You know, with kids, like I think about how do we how do we support our kids and give them everything we want to give them, but also um, cultivate that kind of appreciation for the other right what other people experience not in a guilt-ridden way right like i think you know i i feel like uh the way that we talk about charity and the way that we talk about um other people even has changed so much over the years like i remember when we were kids it was like you know eat eat all your food because there are kids who you know right. would love to eat that and it's like this guilt-ridden thing right? right but what i've been experienced over the last you know decade or whatever is just a i think a more sophisticated understanding of the fact that these are people just like you and me, mm-hmm. and there is a system in place that has, you know, prevented them from accessing the same opportunities that you and I have. And uh, anyway, I guess I just I'm feeling hopeful about 
you know, the further generations and the idea that they'll be connected in ways that we weren't. And uh, and know, part of that is due to that thing that we were talking about, about how now we're sort of forced by virtue of our culture yeah. to have wider social awareness because we no longer have just our insular family. There's units. no option. We're always yeah. plugged into a whole it's network of there. people everywhere uh-huh. going through diverse experiences. And that's where tribalism breaks down, you know? Totally. Because even if you are, even if you only have friends with your beliefs on Facebook, and I know we're all somewhat guilty of that. You yeah. Know, like we all have like those four friends that we just like avoid posting political things for, you know? But other than that, like we basically get everything echoed all the time. Even in the context of that, we're aware that there are people with differing opinions from us that we're trying to, even if we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that awareness is so important because that's where dialogue comes from. Yeah. You know? The fact that like that other people get so angry when I say certain things online, you know, that means that they're at least attuned to the gulf. If I between see you us. post one more fart meme, <laughs> I'm just going to God. block you forever. But it's, a, it's an amazing moment for us as a society. And I think you're right, because young people are even more tuned into this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're so they've grown up with social media as such a fundamental part of their lives that I think we are moving ever more towards a world where people are. <laughs> truly woke to, to throw colloquialism <laughs> in. Anyway, yeah, um, I think this is going to be an interesting one to explore. I feel like it's going to be a thread through through the you know subsequent episodes in terms of how we raise children and how they sort of we we continue to cultivate our own identities and also help guide them uh, to understand theirs. I think that's something yeah. that you know we're both interested in and uh, hopefully aren't going to fuck up too bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for fun, listening. Man. Yeah, it has. All right, see All you right, guys. Talk to you next time.